Father, bless these words to our hearts in Jesus' name. Turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 3. In verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Now, this is saying that in the same manner that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, in that manner God loved the world. It's not God so loved the world, so deeply, so intensely. It's in this manner, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. That was the manner in which God loved the world. Now, it says in the Word of God that he who believes is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. Christ did not come to condemn him. Christ came to deliver him from condemnation. He did not come to condemn him. Revelation 13.8 says the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Now, the slain Lamb included the cross and the blood. The blood was shed on the cross. The cross came first. When the blood was shed and the slaying of the Lamb and the cross, this became the foundation upon which the cosmos, the word there is cosmos, not world, but cosmos, were built. That does include the world, but includes everything in creation. So everything was built on this slain lamb. He was the structural foundation. The word of God says that the worlds were spread out like a curtain. And the word of God also says that in approximately a thousand years, at the end of the millennial kingdom, when the heaven and earth pass away, that God will roll up the heavens like a scroll. And so what we see here is a picture of something being unrolled when God created the heavens. And the heavens, of course, includes all of space and thereby all of time. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. It cleanses sin out of time in Psalm 103.12. Psalm 103.12 uses a spatial reference, but as we know from Einstein, where there is space, there is time. Where there is time, there is space. The two are one and the same, two parts of one thing. So the blood cleanses sin from time. That is the condemnation. That a person who does not believe in Christ, in Romans 14.23, their life amounts to sin and God will remove their life from time. Hence the reason why your name can be removed from the book of life but not the Lamb's book of life. The books of life, both, are books of time. 
the book of life is the book of creation. The Lamb's book of life is the book of redemption. You can think of it as the book of life after the effect of the blood. Christ came to deliver people from that condemnation. Now, God has this plan for our lives. God has a purpose. God wants us to have a relationship with Him. God created us for the sake of that relationship. God wants to manifest love to us. That's one of the primary reasons why we were created was so that God could manifest love to us. God has this eternal plan of the ages and all these things in a believer's life. Now the question is, and this is a question that we need to answer because without answering this question, we're not going to be able to, in practical sense, enter into it. What? comes first. What comes first? You have the love of God, you have the grace of God, you have the mercy of God, you have the cross, you have the goodness of God, the generosity of God, the forgiveness of God. You have all the things that God gives, you have all the things that He is, that He wants to impart to us, you have the entire plan of God, the will of God, the call of God, everything. What comes first? The cross came first. And the cross was a response to love. The cross came first. Love was the motivation. In this fashion, God loved the world. That just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, God sent His Son to die for us. In this fashion, the love of God brought the cross first. The love of God will always bring the cross first. Unfortunately, because people often have a poor understanding of what the cross means, they associate a negative connotation to it. The cross is not negative. I remember this one pastor's wife who worked at the same place that I worked years ago. She was facing a difficult challenge and she said, well, I guess I got to grin and bear it. That's my cross. I don't mean to disparage this woman, but that was a very, very poor statement. That precious woman had zero understanding of what the cross is, what it's about, why it even exists, why God brought it. She had no idea about the cross. So many Christians see the cross as a negative. Your difficult situation, that is your cross to bear. No, really it isn't. Unbelievers have difficult situations also with no cross to bear. It has nothing to do with the cross. Challenges, that stuff has nothing to do with the cross. Galatians 2.20 tells you what the cross is about. The cross is God's entryway into the life of God for the believer. That's what the cross is about. The cross is where you find superabundance of life. The cross is not your challenge. The cross is not your burden. The cross is not your difficulty. None of that stuff is the cross. The cross is not a circumstance. The cross 
is one of the greatest gifts that God could have ever given us. It is the entryway into the life of God. That's why the cross always comes first. In Numbers 21.4, this is what Jesus is referring to. And they, Israel, pulled up stakes from Mount Hor by the way of the Sea of Reeds to go around the land of Edom. This is when they were wandering in the wilderness. And the soul of the people became impatient because of the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Now what were they doing when they were speaking against God and Moses? Who was behind that? Revelation 12.10 says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. They were under demonic influence when they did that. By the way, negativity is always under demonic influence. It is a form of poneros evil. Evil is a government. Poneros means it's infectious. And so, it's a form of Satan's government becoming infectious. In other words, one person who is being influenced by the government of Satan, that's Kakos evil, then starts to influence or infect other people, that's Paneros evil. The people spoke against God, they spoke against Moses. It was from Satan's initiations, because Satan is the accuser, and they started accusing. Whenever somebody responds to the enemy's kingdom, whenever a Christian starts to respond to Satan's government, to evil, when they enter into it, God will always answer. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, they said. For there is no bread, there is no water, and our soul hates this light bread. They were starting to feel sorry for themselves. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. I don't have bread. I don't have water. Yet their shoes didn't wear out in 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out in 40 years. They never were without. It rained food from heaven. God provided for them absolutely everything they need. They got water out of a rock when they were in a place where there was no water. And they said, this is so hard. This is so difficult. My soul hates this food that I'm eating. I want a little variety. Can't I have some steak? This light bread is just getting disgusting. What brats? Honestly, what brats? And Satan was stirring this pot of negativity. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And many people in Israel died. Essentially, the Lord did with a... In my generation, anyway, sometimes dads would do, if the kids started whining too much, you would say, okay, I'll give you something to whine about. Watch out when the dad said that. God is saying to them, okay, I'll give you something to whine about. Watch out when God says that. So the Lord sent these fiery serpents. They were called fiery because they were poisonous. And when the serpent bit you, the poison burned. And so they bit the people and many people died. Now they adopted the self-oriented horizontal perception of their circumstances. And they became disoriented to God 
or who they were as God's people. When I become self-oriented, I will lose sight of who I actually am and I will lose sight of who God actually is. And I'll enter into disorientation. When I'm oriented on a horizontal level, I'm disoriented. Because that which is on a horizontal level, in other words, circumstances, people, so on, doesn't define anything. It cannot be my orientation because there is no truth in it. Christ has to be my orientation because he is the truth and the way and the life. And so he has to be my orientation. The only way for that to happen is for me not to be self-oriented. The only way I'm going to not be self-oriented is if there is a cross in my life. The cross comes first. If you want a relationship with God, you need the cross. Now, when a person becomes self-oriented, eventually negativity will follow. Because in self-orientation, because you're disoriented to God, you will be necessarily oriented to your circumstance, to people, situations, what have you. You will always be horizontally oriented when you're vertically disoriented. Negativity will follow. Complaining will follow. You don't have to try. It's just going to happen. It's the nature of the beast. It will follow. But you have to understand something. For those people who like to live in self-orientation, or at least tolerate it, not necessarily like it, because it's not pleasant for anybody, including the people in it, but they will tolerate this self-orientation in their life, sometimes knowing they're being self-oriented, but they're kind of like, okay, well, this is the way I am right now. Hoo-wee, what a terrible mistake. It's like, okay, I'm on fire right now. Why don't you put the flame out? Well, I'm on fire right now. That's kind of what it's like if you think about it from God's perspective. Because everything is being burned up in that person's life. No wonder they don't enjoy it. There's nothing to enjoy there. Self-orientation is the single most miserable place a human being can end up. There's nothing to enjoy there. The fullness of joy is found only in the presence of God, not in self-orientation. God-orientation is where you find joy, happiness, peace, contentment. That's in God-orientation. Self-orientation, none of that exists. Now, the thing about self-orientation is this. In Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Wicked is often translated as iniquity. Iniquity is self-orientation. So the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately self-oriented. Who can know it? You can't know it because when a person is self-oriented, their focus is not in the truth but in themselves. They become subjective in their thinking 
And when they get subjective in their thinking, they can't actually define anything. It's always defined through self. Self will never find fault with self. They'll find fault with everybody and everything else, but never with self. You can't know it. Why? Because it's deceitful. So what I want is a heart that's not deceitful. That means I cannot have a heart that is self-oriented. The only way it's going to go there is if there is a cross. Now the Word of God says in James 1.21, Receive with meekness the implanted Word of God, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The word meekness, is priorities. Now, the word study dictionary has probably one of the best definitions of this that I've ever heard. That dictionary says, priorities means meekness, but not in man's outward behavior only, nor in his relations to his fellow man, or his mere natural disposition. Rather, it is an inwrought grace of the soul and the expressions of it are primarily toward God. It is that attitude of the Spirit we accept God's dealing with us as good and do not dispute or resist. According to Aristotle, it is the middle standing between two extremes, getting angry without reason and not getting angry at all. Therefore, priorities is anger at the right time in the right measure and for the right reason. Priorities is not readily expressed in the English, since the term meekness suggests weakness. But it is a condition of the mind and heart which demonstrates gentleness, not in weakness, but in power. It is a balance born in strength of character. Whole different Definition that what most people think of as meekness. It's not cowering. It's confidence. When that confidence exists, very little is going to throw you off course. Receive with this character the implanted word of God. With this balance of grace, with this character and the strength that it imparts that comes from the character of God. You don't react not because you're weak. You don't react because you have strength. This word is able to deliver you. Be doers of the word. You're not going to be delivered outside of faith application, faith obedience. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, meekness is the internal expression of the cross in a person's life. If I want that relationship with God, it's only going to come through meekness. It's only going to come through a cross. 
If I want to be delivered, it'll come through a cross. If I want to be blessed, it'll come through a cross. If I want answer to prayer, it'll come through a cross. If I want love in my life, it will come through a cross. The cross comes first. In everything, the cross comes first. Don't say to yourself, love comes first. The cross comes before there can be an expression of love. The cross is what the entire universe was established upon. Including everything that is in it, including things like love and mercy, including God's grace and his government of grace, including everything that God is, including all that we desire, including all the character of God that he would impart to us, the cross comes first. Never indulge a lack of the cross. Never indulge a lack of the cross. You are indulging your own demise. Never indulge a lack of the cross. Don't tolerate it in yourself. If you notice it in yourself, get rid of it immediately. In Psalm 25.9, the meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his ways. The cross will bring you to God consciousness. If you are self-oriented, you will not live in God consciousness. The cross will bring you to God consciousness. And then, through the word of God, it will bring you to God orientation. Once you have God consciousness through the cross and God orientation through the word, everything else follows. If you want to live in the fullness of grace, that will follow. If you want to live in the character of God, that will follow. If you want to live in a call, that will follow. If you want the perfect will of God in your life, that will follow. The cross comes first. It produces God consciousness. Then, if a person is gone conscious, they will hear the word of God. The word of God produces God orientation. Once I have God orientation, everything else follows. Matthew 6.33 Everything follows. A person wonders, if they're young, who am I going to marry? Don't worry about it. Worry about seeking first the kingdom of God. Worry about... Is the cross present in my life? And if it is not, how do I develop it? If the cross is not present in your life, there is one simple reason. The reason is because I am self-oriented. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. When I deny myself, that is to say, when I stop being self-oriented, the cross will naturally come in. You don't have to try to develop a cross in your life. You simply 
make sure you're not self-oriented. Everything follows when a cross is present. Young person, you want to get married? Get a cross. You want to know what to do about your future? Pick up a cross. You want to know how to respond in situations? You need to make decisions? Do it through the cross. And people wonder to themselves, what do you mean? That's kind of vague. How do I do it through a cross? It's very simple. When you put away self-orientation, then the cross comes in and you start receiving the word of God because now you're living in God consciousness and then you're living in God orientation. You're going to enter into faith responses. This is a natural progression. It doesn't really require a lot of effort. Once you're in faith responses, you will enter into faith obedience. Faith obedience is the operational mechanism for the government of grace. You're under God's government and therefore he can order your steps. So whatever it is that you have to do, whatever it is that you have to decide, it doesn't matter what the circumstance, it doesn't matter what the hope, the cross comes first. You want a good job, get a cross. You want to do well on your job, get a cross. You want to go to the right college if you're young, get a cross. You want to survive in the right college without being devastated by people who are very ungodly, get a cross. The cross always comes first. In Matthew 13, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, the word understand is sunintos, and means literally to put it together, to put perception together with that which is perceived. In modern English, you would say to get it. If you hear it, but you don't get it. This is one of the reasons why in this church we teach mechanisms. It helps people to get it. This is how it works. If anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one who receives seed by the wayside. But he who receives the seed on stony places, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. This is emotional hearing. There are a lot of people who hear emotionally. They get very excited about the gospel. They get very excited about the word of God. They're instantly committed. They're very emotional in their response. Emotional hearing has no depth. They have no root in themselves, but endure only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately this person stumbles. Now he who received the seed among thorns is he who hears the word and cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word. In other words, this is a distracted hearer. And he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on the ground 
is he who hears the word and understands it. He gets it. Who indeed bears fruit. You could say who is a doer of the word. And produces some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Now, this is what it means that the word has become implanted in James 1.21. And this only takes place with meekness. Meekness only comes through the cross. When you approach the word of God, you have to do it through a cross or the word of God will not benefit you. The other hearers were all hearing in some manifestation of self-orientation. But the hearer who received the word of God and bore fruit as a result, they heard it in meekness. They heard it in God-orientation produced by a cross. The cross came first. Now, each of the other hearers had no meekness because there was no cross. Now, here's the thing. No cross in my hearing leads to poor soil when I'm receiving now, that's not just as simple as saying, oh, you didn't get it this time. When a person's soil is not in the right condition because they are not meek, because they have no cross, then self-orientation will rule. When self-orientation rules, people will enter into all kinds of complexes. Pastor Stevens talked about complexes on a class recently. Without meekness, you're going to have the subjective mind in charge. And the subjective mind is ruled by the old sin nature. Dr. Stevens defined these complexes that take place. He said the subjective mind's complexes are an inferiority complex, a superiority complex, a guilt complex, a fear complex, an insecurity complex, an irrational complex. And these are all established impressions in the subjective mind. And these impressions cause complexes. Now, here's the other thing about complexes. Where one complex exists, another complex comes in. And pretty soon, this precious Christian, because there was no cross in their life, will live in all manner of complexes, psychological complexes. They may be insecure, they may be irrational, they may feel inferior, they may feel superior. They can't handle much of anything because of these complexes. And eventually, this person will possess all of these complexes because where one exists, others follow. It's not a light matter, this cross. Sometimes we say to ourselves, well, I have a cross, so I'm not self-centered. That's not what it's about. It's far more than that. You can't function in a healthy fashion without a cross. You're not designed to. When God created Adam and Eve, He created them after His image. 
Self-orientation was not a part of that image. Self-orientation was a distortion. And because they lived in distortion, in Genesis 3-7, they saw they were naked and thought they would have to cover themselves up. So they made these fig leaves. But it didn't deal with anything. They were still afraid when God was looking for them. They still hid themselves. Self-orientation is distortion. Now, if God created them after the image of God, that meant that they had the mind of Christ. It means they have the character of God. It means that they have the thoughts of God. It means that they had everything that God is and they had all that he imparts. They were the very image of God. When they became self-oriented, they went from the image of God to the expression of Satan. Now sometimes people think the expression of Satan is this vile, wicked, evil, outrightly brazen wickedness. It can be but not usually. Satan is subtle in Genesis 3.1. He is the most subtle creature ever created. He is not interested in being brazen. He is not interested in being flashy. And he is not interested in being seen. He is subtle. And he will approach in subtlety. Does it make any sense to you, Eve? Think about it. That God would say, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but not of the best tree. Does that make any sense to you? He didn't say, God didn't say this at all. He said, does it make any sense to you? Do you understand this? And then, that follows to, could you be misinterpreting this, or at least applying this incorrectly? You see the subtlety of the question? He didn't deny it. He just got herself oriented. Very frequently what Satan does is not denying truth. It's getting you to be self-oriented instead of trusting truth. When I'm self-oriented, where there is no cross, there is no trust. Where there is no cross, there is no faith. Where there is no cross, there is no response. Where there is no cross, there is no obedience. The cross comes first. So he got her to start looking at herself and her own opinions. My opinions make not one ounce of difference. Neither do yours. What makes a difference is what God has said. There's where the difference comes in. Had she said... Who cares what I think? God said this, it would have been the end of the story. But you see, where there is self-orientation, pride comes in, self-elevation comes in, and then what do you think? Well, this is my opinion, starts to take on some merit and value, some weight, because it becomes about me. When that takes place, 
you enter squarely into the government of the enemy. The cross comes first. The solution that God gave them in Numbers 21.8 Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. Introduce a cross, Moses. And when people stop being self-oriented and they look toward the cross, they enter into the life of the cross, they're going to live instead of die. Why are people negative? There is no cross. Why are people bitter? There is no cross. Why are people hurt? There is no cross. See, that one's going to sting a few people on the internet. What do you mean if I'm hurt? It's no cross. A little sentimentality toward the old sin nature. Self-pity will do that. I know that sounds hard. But we're delivered by truth. This is not a wounding, hurtful thing. This is a, you're hurt because you're self-oriented. And you're maintaining that self-orientation in your emotions. And your emotions aren't doing very well with it. And so you're hurt. But you know what they said? It doesn't matter what they said. You know what they did? It doesn't matter what they did. It requires humility, yes. But then again, why be proud? Pride's not your friend. When Lucifer got proud in heaven, in Ezekiel 28, 15-18, he got kicked out of heaven. He got miserable enough that even though he was the number one angel in heaven, second only to God, he found reason to complain. That's crazy. You're in heaven. You've got the highest rank, the highest position available to any created creature. You have amazing splendor all around you. And you're complaining? That's what pride does. A believer. The blood of Christ has been shed for you. God offers you entry into the very life of God in Galatians 2.20. No sin will ever be imputed to you. No fault will ever be imputed to you. God takes care of you. He takes care of all your needs. Every single need you have, He goes above and beyond anything you can ask or think. God gives a provision and a solution for everything. He causes you to be one person with Him. He will answer your prayers and your complaining. But the circumstance Serious? How is the circumstance even a circumstance? See, that's what self-orientation does. Pride does that. Pride takes things that are trivial and makes them big. 
You said what to me? I don't like this. And the soul that is lifted up, the soul that is inflated, is not upright in him. In Habakkuk 2, for you know what God does with an inflated soul? He deflates it. God has a divine pin. And he sticks that right in the soul that's inflated. And he deflates it. The cross comes first. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, we don't know anyone from the source of our own sin nature. There it says we know no man after the flesh. It's not talking about their flesh. It's talking about ours. We don't know anyone from the source of our old sin nature. If you want a healthy relationship with anybody, the cross comes first. Otherwise, the relationship will be distorted. I don't care the nature of the relationship. Without a cross, it will be distorted. The cross will come first. In Luke 6.37, if I want to be released from guilt, the cross comes first. There it says, forgive and you shall be forgiven. In the original language, it says, release people from the bondage or prison of their mistakes and failures, and you will be released from the bondage or prison of their mistakes and failures. The cross comes first. Why? Forgiveness is not something I do. Forgiveness is something I accept. And I don't just accept it for myself, and it's not the forgiveness part that I'm accepting. Whatever sin took place, mine or somebody else's, was removed by the blood of Christ on the cross. Revelation 1.5 It was removed out of time in Psalm 103.12. When I accept what the blood of Christ does, then there is forgiveness. It's not that I'm saying, I pardon you. It's that I'm saying, the blood of Christ was effective. If the blood of Christ removes sin from time, there's nothing much to forgive, is there? That's forgiveness. Sometimes people can't forgive because they think they have to pardon somebody something they did. That's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness is not pardoning. God pardons. We don't. Forgiveness is accepting the work of the blood and applying that through faith. Well, if somebody did something to me and the blood of Christ removed it out of time, then I can really just let it go because they no longer did it to me. And the person says, I remember. Well, then let it in Hebrews 9.14 cleanse your conscience. You reckon on the blood and your conscience becomes cleansed. 
the cross comes first. If you try to forgive without a cross, if you try to come to God without a cross, if you try to get rid of your guilt without a cross, forget it. It's not going to happen. It comes first. In Isaiah 6, 8, if you want to have faith response, if you want to have a life with God, if you want anything going on with God, if you want to be in the will of God, the cross comes first. When God asked, who will go for me? Who shall I send? Isaiah said, send me, here am I. He wasn't asking where. He wasn't asking how long would it take. He wasn't asking how am I going to get there. He wasn't asking how much will it cost. He wasn't asking how much will I be paid. He wasn't asking how hard will it be. He wasn't asking how much time do I have to put into it. He just said, send me. That's a relationship with God. That's faith response. Send me. Who's going to go, send me? I didn't give you any details. Doesn't matter. I don't need the details. I know who's sending me. You send me. The cross comes first. In everything, the cross comes first. You know what the cross is? The thinking of the cross is this in Isaiah 1.8. Come, let us reason together. That's the mind of the cross. Come, let us reason together. Now understand something. In Ephesians 2.15 and 16, we become one new man with Christ. We become one individual with Christ at the cross. That's why the cross must always come first. Because my oneness with him is at the cross. Outside of the cross, if I want to step away from the cross and get self-oriented, I'm stepping away from the oneness that I possess with Christ in my experience. I cannot change it in my position. But in my experience, that's a whole other story. You're one person with Christ in your experience so long as there is a cross. Where there is no cross, there is no experience of oneness. Nothing can go well if I don't live in who I am. I'm not saying I don't live in who he is. I'm saying I don't live in who I am. Nothing can go well if I don't live in who I am. I am one person with Christ. I am the body of Christ. One individual with God. The cross must come first. Now, if I live in self-orientation, I'm living as one person alone. And I enter into deception. I'm disoriented to who I am. When I worked in the hospital, we would get very old people coming sometimes from nursing homes. And some of these people didn't know who they were because of dementia. 
A lack of the cross is like spiritual dementia. You'll never know who you are without a cross. And if you don't know who you are, then how do you enter into anything? Nothing can go well at that point. But if you live in who you actually are, then you can be confident. Then you have something to work with. Then you have a foundation. But you have to keep it in the reality of who you are, not in a subjective disorientation. You may think you're Superman, but you're not. But you are one person with Christ. If you live in who you are, then everything else follows. And the way you live in who you are is by having the cross come first. Amen? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, simply pray, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me so much that you died for me so I can have eternal life with you. Amen.